afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is October 3rd, 2013, and this is broadcast number 47. You know, it's funny, I'm thinking it's October, which means only one thing for sports nuts like myself, baseball playoffs. Now, I know what you're thinking out there. You're thinking, well, Bill, aren't you a Yankee fan? Well, yes, I am a Yankee fan, and yes, you're right. As far as I'm concerned, the season's over, but it's still the playoffs, and there's nothing better than October baseball. And it just so happens our guest today uh, is also a baseball nutter like myself, so look forward to talking with um, Tom Ertle on a book that he has helped publish uh, in just a few minutes. Let me tell everybody a little bit about uh, what's going on in the podcast. Obviously, as usual, you can get all the information about the podcast at confessingourhope.com. There you'll find out all the information about past episodes, resources, what's coming up on the program. It's all right there on the website. In addition to that, don't forget about the mobile app that is uh, put out by the seminary. It's free. Uh, a little over a thousand people have downloaded it to date, which is very encouraging. So get your hands on that uh, either at the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Either place, they're available for iOS as well as Android devices. And of course, if you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, our website is gpts.eu. And you can always write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. And I always respond, maybe not right away. Maybe not in a few days, but I will get to you just as soon as I get a moment to breathe. Because as you all know, I'm also a student and very busy. Uh, midterms are looming out there somewhere, I think. Well, anyway, they're coming very quickly. So anyway, now as I mentioned, we're going to be uh, uh, talking with Tom Ertle. He has helped, uh, I, well, helped probably not the right word, but he has produced or produced. <laughs> he has published... <laughs> a book on a man that I'm willing to bet most people have heard little about. The man we're going to talk about today is Pierre Viray. Viray. <laughs> i make sure I get that name right. I was corrected earlier. Um, and this book is subtitled The Angel of the Reformation. And this is a reformer, a Protestant reformer, that I think, as I said, most people are not very familiar with. And so we're going to hopefully be a little more familiar with him at the conclusion of this episode. So, Tom, it's great to have you on. And, and it's nice to talk with a man who loves baseball like I do. But, of course, today we're talking about another uh, passion, uh, church history. And a man, uh, as I said, is not real, not real well known, I think, in, uh, in the hallowed halls of higher education. Well, Bill, yeah, honor, honor to be with you. At, uh, with the, and especially great appreciation I have for the the work of uh, Greenville Seminary and what Dr. Piper is doing over there. As I said to you before, I actually took two classes years back yeah. in the old uh, church there in Taylor's, one with Dr. Smith and one with uh, Dr. McGoldrick. And so fond memories of Greenville Seminary. Yes, I appreciate that. Well, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, you're the president of Zurich Publishing. And what is Correct. your background and how did you get started with uh with that kind of uh venture well my vocationally my background is um home builder in tallahassee florida been in the luxury market for 25 years and so after 25 years experience some economic ups and downs and about 10 years ago i started zerg publishing and then soon after that after my trip to switzerland started the prv ray association and my desire with Zurich Publishing was to, and I do this in my after hours, was really birth off of reading Merrill Daubigny and his histories of the Reformation and the histories of the Reformation mm -hmm. in the times of Calvin. And have, I always had a burden for church history, especially the era of that 16th century Reformation. So I wanted to do some works, uh, some publications and more pictorial books on the Swiss Reformation. So, and we can talk about it later, but I took a trip there in 2004. So that was the original purpose of Zurich Publishing. And uh, providentially, uh, because of the construction company, I'm able to help fund uh, the publishing, the uh, Zurich Publishing and what we're trying to do there. Because as you know, um, Christian Publishing, there's not a lot of money in it. And if it's reformed, there's even less money in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm holding the book in my hand, 
And for listeners who may be interested in um, the life of this man we're going to be talking about today, um, this book is actually put together very nicely. Um, I was really surprised that the paper it's on, it's, it is well done book. And um, I was glad to get a copy and be able to uh, see, put this in my own library, as it were. So it's very well done, and um, it's not just slapped together paperback. It's a hardcover book on Pierre Viray, Viray and um, it, it's well well done. Now, how did you come to the place where you thought, you know, maybe we need to publish a book on this man who, as I said, no one knows much about? Well, Bill, that, that's an interesting question, and it is a, a long story. Let me try and summarize it here uh, so I don't bore your, your listeners. But in, in t- as I said before, in 2004, in the summer, in July, I went to Switzerland, and I went to German Switzerland, flew into um, Zurich, went immediately to the Gross Munster, which was on the Lamotte River, which was Zwingli and, and Bullinger's church, mm-hmm. where the, the founding of the Reformed faith was at that church in Zurich. So I went there with the idea of doing a pictorial uh, publication on the Swiss Reformation, and the goal was to go throughout all of German Switzerland, which is where the first Reformed churches were. So I um, went there, and I spent a good week going through Zurich, making contacts, taking pictures, went to Bern, which is the capital of the Swiss cantons in, in German Switzerland. And as you know, in Switzerland, you've got... Uh, there's four languages there. You have a, um, a French and Ita- Italian canton. The, 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 um, the bulk of Switzerland is German-Swiss, and then the um, western end is French. And then there's a Romanish, which is another language in the uh, Catholic cantons. It, doesn't, it isn't uh, spoken too much of anymore. So anyways, I concentrated on German-Switzerland, went to Zurich, Bern, and Basel, St. Gallen, um, and then Bremgarten, where um, uh, Bollinger was from, and, and made the contacts and all that. Then on the last leg of the trip, I had heard about a theologian pastor by the name of Jean-Marc Bertou in Lausanne, Switzerland. I read an article that he did on Pierre Viray from uh, a Chalcedon publication book. So I, ca- mm. I called him, and I contacted him. He said, yeah, come, come on by. I, I run a Christian bookstore just just below the cathedral in Lausanne. So on my last leg, I spent a day in Lausanne, and you know, after I made an appointment with him. And so I arrived at his bookstore mid-morning, and I sat down with him. And John Mark at the time was, oh, what was he, 60, 68 or something like, uh, or maybe 60, 66. And uh, sat down with him and gave him my vision. I told him what I wanted to do. So with, with the pictorial books on the, on the Swiss Reformation. So he looked at me and he said, he said let me tell you what you need to do. And he was, uh, in, in a gracious way, said, basically, put aside those works and let me tell you about Pierre V. Ray. Let me tell you what we're doing here in Lausanne. Let me tell you about Pierre Cortial, who was his very close pastor, theologian mm. friend in uh, France. And he handed me a work that they did that his, the V-Ray Association did in Lausanne, and it was Pierre V-Ray's Christian Instruction, which is three volumes, seven, eight hundred pages per volume. And he sits there and he tells me, Tom, V-Ray's work is his magnum opus is Christian Instruction. And I think it is, I, and I would, I, I, I may be bold to say this, but is his Christian instruction is on par with Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. So that woke me up a little. He said his second volume, which is on the Ten Commandments on Biblical Law, is the best work in the Reformation on the Law of God. So that woke me up. He, he told me about his friend Pierre Cortial, who, and we can talk about it later, I've got there's a couple books we have the rights to that we're translating now on, on, with Cortial. So, um, and then he took me, he says, come up, I want to show you the, the cathedral. So we went up the old 16th century market steps in Lausanne, and we went up to the cathedral, uh, the great Gothic cathedral there in Lausanne, and he told me about V-Ray. And he said, listen, in this cathedral and in the surrounding buildings, V-Ray had an academy here from 1536 to 1559 for 23 years. And in the academy... 
there was at times 800 to 1,000 students, and he was teaching Reformed faith. And this, and as, you, as your listeners would know, the academy in Geneva wasn't until 1559, and there's a story about that I can tell you later. So he said, listen, in this academy came Guido de Bray, who wrote the Belgian Confession of Faith. Out of here, two other V-Ray students was uh, uh, Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Olivianus, who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm-hmm. And uh, Theodore Beza's, uh, his principal at the school was Theodore Beza for almost a decade. So when he told me that, I had no idea that. Because I, what I had read about V-Ray and all of what I read on the Reformation, I try and read as much as I could, was um, a little Philip Schaff. He talked about V-Ray you know, for a page and a half in his uh, book on, I can't remember what... Um, what volume that was on the Swiss Reformation. And then Robert Linder wrote a great article on V. Ray, the Forgotten Reformer in Christian History Magazine. So that's all I had. So John Mark filled me in on the details. And when I knew that, that uh, Beza was there, Debray, or Sinus, and Olivianus had been taught there, I said, all right, sign me up. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to publish? So wow. it, 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 that began, that little time there, that three hours, and we went out to lunch in Lausanne with Jean Marc Baird too set me on the path to publish as much as I could on Pierre V. Ray, hopefully one day do a biography. And then John Mark suggested I start the uh, V. Ray Association in the United States, and they have one called the Association Pierre V. Ray in Lausanne. So that is basically the story on how I got started. After going there, I gave up what I was originally intending to do for Zurich Publishing, and I took up John Mark's challenge, and we've been doing that for uh, about nine years since. Just a quick question. The, yeah. um, the three-volume work that you mentioned on Christian instruction, is that, is that out of print? Is it Yeah, it, it was printed. Or? Good question, Bill. It was printed in English in the 16th century, in, 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 in 16th century English, which you cannot read. And we have started to do started doing a the translation of that. And really, the person Great. Ari Sheets that wrote um, the biography that we're talking about here on on V-Ray um, will be taking that up, and we can kind of discuss some of that later. When we, we if you wanted to ask me about uh, some of the translations we're doing down the road here. Sure. Now you mentioned Calvin in in um, you compared his three volumes over against the Institutes. And, and yeah. of course, then whenever we talk about the Protestant Reformation, John Calvin's name always seems to surface to the top for obvious reasons. Um, what relationship did, did V-Ray have with Calvin? Well, another good question. Very close. Um, and the author, Ari Sheets, brought out a whole chapter in their relationship that Calvin had with V-Ray. A lot of times you'll see in in Reformation histories, it'll be mentioned that V-Ray was a disciple of Calvin, and that was not the case. V-Ray was um, a peer of Calvin. And um, we can get into some of that a little later, but it was very, very close relationship, probably as close as relationship he had, even more than uh, William Farrell was V-Ray with Calvin. Um, interesting mm. story there was... When uh, the Genevans loved V-Ray, and at times he would go back and forth from Lausanne to, to, to Geneva, which is really basically 30 miles away. It's a very short distance on Lake Le Mans, Lake Geneva. And um, one interesting story was that when Calvin and Farrell were kicked out of Geneva in 1538, see, in 1536, Calvin was under uh, Farrell's instruction and command, basically took the pastorate of St. Pierre's in Geneva. By 1538, the political situation turned, and uh, their stand on the Lord's Supper uh, uh, was to the dismay of the magistrates, mm-hmm. syndics in Geneva. They were kicked out in 38, and V-Ray was brought in to Geneva, and he, V-Ray preached and actually drew bigger crowds than Calvin because of his style. But V-Ray negotiated as Calvin went to Strasbourg to be with Bootser, and then Farrell went to Neuchâtel to take the pastorate there, V-Ray, for that period of time, negotiated the return of Calvin to go back to Geneva. And hmm. and the author brings out some really great letters and dialogue going back and forth, where Calvin said, 
V-Ray is, is basically on the phone or writing letters saying, listen, John, I have, uh, I've got, things are turning in Geneva. Hmm. Um, I'm negotiating this thing with the magistrates. I, we're at the place where they're going to want you to come back. And Calvin says, don't even mention it. <laughs> I am not interested in coming back yeah. to Geneva. That, that's the worst thing you could tell me. And it is a beautiful dialogue. I forgot but, the exact quote. I re- something about I'd rather die a thousand deaths or something yeah, like that. No, that's exactly it. And uh, so V-Ray is negotiating the return, uh, both with, it, it might have been harder with Calvin than with the magistrates. And uh, so by 41, I can't remember if it was the fall or whatever, he is back in the pulpit in Geneva and then V and here, here's the interesting thing that again, the author brings this out is the, the, the final negotiation was this, uh, Calvin says, all right, I'm coming, I'll come back, but only one condition will I come back and that a V ray is there and stays. Mm-hmm. So there's the Geneva magistrates have to negotiate with the Bernice Lords who wrote, ruled, Vaux, which is a province or canton, where right. Lausanne is, and so they, the Bernice said, "All right, V-Ray can stay a while." I think he ended up staying six months, so that was part of the deal. V-Ray, no V-Ray, I'm not coming back. So, and there's just, and, and there's a great when, when your readers could get the book. Uh, the author did a great job on bringing out the tremendous relationship V-Ray had with Calvin how they, they were dependent on each other. And and, um, and we bring out in the book the Swiss triumvirate, which is, you know, uh, Pharrell first and then V-Ray, then Calvin, and the closeness of the relationship. And I bring out that there's never really been um, a closer tie of three ministers advancing the kingdom of God than these three men. Hmm. You know, That's and, remarkable. Uh, I was, yeah. As I'm thinking about this relationship and, and how you mentioned that uh, V-Ray wasn't really a, a, a student of Calvin. They were very much um, very close friends. They were confidants of one another. Um, you know, you, you, you see pictures of Calvin, you think, oh, the guy was a stern Lone Ranger. You know, you just kind of get that impression yeah. from the pictures and whatnot. But, you know, it reminded me of the, the passage in Philippians 2 where Paul is so concerned for the Philippian church and he sends... He endeavors to send Timothy to them. He endeavors to send Epaphroditus to them because of his love for them. But what's striking to me is is how he refers to Timothy as the one who cared for his needs. And, and here's the great Apostle Paul. Um, they're in prison in Rome, and, and there's his friend, his beloved friend that's been with him through thick and thick. And here the, the great Apostle Paul is relying and depending on his friend, um, his son in the faith, but his friend as well. Um, and we tend to forget that these guys, you know, these reformers, these great giants of the faith were, were men, you know, they were, they needed friends. They needed these, these confident, these confidants, these, these yes. people that had, that they had close relationships with. And, and, and I never even knew any of that about Calvin. You just, you just don't think of him that way. And until you hear the background. And, and so it's really, almost encouraging in some sense to hear that here's a man that Kelvin was, was close with and, and, and was, I mean, you imagine being a fly on the wall in some of those. Oh, yeah. It yeah, must have been would, remarkable. That would have been something, you know, since you, you brought up baseball, I, I will relay a baseball player to John Calvin. What was the ESPN uh, commercials they do on Albert Pujols? They call him the machine. Yeah. Well, you could call John Calvin the theological machine. You know, yep. work day and night, and just produced volumes of tremendous works. Well, here's the deal on that, though. The author brings out it does a great job on the personal aspect of John Calvin as he related to V. Ray. There's stories in there about Calvin. On the letters are great. They bring out that Calvin was dis- almost despondent, worried about V. Ray when his first wife passed away. And he's mm. married twice. He later remarried. And then, and you know, and, and, he, and he says, Pierre, why don't you come to Geneva? Just please come. We're worried about you. And then they would bring out how Calvin was working on uh, uh, negotiating a, a bride for him after his, for his wife died. And uh, that's an interesting story. And uh, we got this girl set up, and they go on and on, you know, in Geneva. And ended up, he ended up marrying somebody, I think, out of Lausanne. But uh, and then there's stories that the author brings out about 
Calvin sends a letter to V. Ray. He says, listen, Pierre, I haven't seen you in a while. Why don't you come Thursday, and then we'll go across to our buddies across the lake, and we'll have a good time there, and then you can preach in my church. I'll go somewhere else. And then, um, you know, and, and it's just really heartfelt stories of two ministers committed to God to advance Christ's kingdom. And yeah, it's just, uh, she just, the author does a wonderful job in bringing it yeah, out. And the, and the great lesson for us, I and mean, uh, many that listen to this podcast aren't ministers of the gospel. Um, some are. Um, but I think the lesson here, uh, really, for us as, as men uh, especially, but ladies, of course, as well, um, is that good godly friendships are so, so important. And um, I, I just recently uh, mentioned this. Uh, the, the Christian life wasn't meant to be lived alone. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't need lone rangers. He need, and, and, and so he gives us these people in our lives by his providence and grace that we can share our, frust- our burdens with, our frustrations, and pray together with, and just, you know, and just t- without fear of, of putting on some kind of airs or act or face or whatever it may be, we can just, we can just talk openly. And, and here's a guy as great as Calvin, and he has this close, close friend, and of course it was reciprocal. It wasn't just Calvin the king, the boss, right. but it was a mutual relationship yeah. that I think oftentimes people just don't think of when they think of a guy like John Calvin. Now, you've mentioned the author a couple of times. Why don't you tell me, um, tell, us, uh, tell us about the author. Yeah, author, a uh, very, very interesting, unique story on, on my author, because the author is female. R.A., I think it is uh, Rebecca Ann Sheets. And when you think of um, historical writers, you're usually thinking of somebody that um, has considerable formal education, maybe a master's degree, maybe possibly a doctorate, you know, under a well-known mentor. Well, Ari Sheets is uh, Rebecca Ann Sheets. She's a young woman. She took up the task of doing the biography in her mid-20s. I think she's probably 30 now. Homeschool, no formal education. When I told her about V-Ray, she was very interested uh, obviously, she's got great uh, intellectual capacity and ability there. But so I would send her stuff on V-Ray. Then I, um, she said she wanted to do a biography on V-Ray. So um, obviously, she's typical American, which means we're not bilingual. All we know is English. So she taught herself French. Mm. And yeah, that's that's her ability. Okay. Taught her, yeah, that's where we're at here. Wow. Taught herself French. I would drop Bill. I would. I would. She would she would research all the old books uh, of eighteen uh, early eighteen hundreds nineteen hundreds whatever she could on that history of that era the Reformation there were great French and Swiss writers back then uh, that were much more detailed than Dabier on that particular part of of Vaux and Geneva and France and all that so she would pull them up I would go to Kinko's and copy just thousands of pages I remember one time dropping off at her house six or seven boxes full of of binders on all these histories. Well, she would read them. So I think, and she would just work day and night on it, and it probably a two, three-year task, task, and eventually came up with the text. And um, I mentioned the fact that, you know, a woman historian, I look, I look at my library at home, and I think I've got only two female historians. i got Antonio Frazier's work on Cromwell, and then I've got Nesta Webster's great work on the French Revolution, and I can't think of any other female uh, writer. The uniqueness about this is, besides her, her intellectual capabilities, is that I get feedback from people that have read the book and say it reads like a novel. So it, it is just a very um, uh, invigorating, um, compelling story when she writes about uh, the life of Pierre Vire. I, I wish we could, we had the funds to make it into a movie one day. So. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just—I was just thinking. You know, too bad they're making movies about every other thing. Superman, Batman. Yeah. You know, he, he, this would great be great historical. Hit. Yeah, we've got. Hopefully, a rich person is listening, and they would fund yeah, a maybe. movie on V-Ray. You never. Yeah, never know. And one more thing about I never the know who's listening. It could be. It, yeah. It could happen. Yeah. <laughs> it could happen. It's, it's good. One more thing about the author. She is. Uh, since she taught herself French, now she is basically taught herself 16th century French, and, which, is a, which is unique, because what they did in Lausanne at the V-Ray Association, they had to take the 16th century French and turn it into modern French, 
and then we take that and turn it into English. Well, she is right now translating um, V. Ray's The Lord's Prayer, his 700-page book on the Lord's Prayer. So mm. we hope to have that out maybe in a year or so. So that's the story on the author. Well, you know, it's interesting. I just read the dedication page. Um, of course, she says to my parents, I owe you everything, which... Yeah. Um, yeah. Too bad, more children. I know. That wasn't Don't that. think about that and their history and yeah. what their parents yeah. do. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, 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 on that page, podcast for a different day. And then yeah. she says that to Thomas Ertl. But here's here's what I wanted to point out. Um, kind of dovetails in nicely with my introduction. How this is a name of man that we probably don't know too much about. She says, without whom I might never have known there lived a man named V-Ray. Yeah. I, I, it just, there's so, God's history that he's painted across time, the fabric of time, and there's these great men that, you know, we hear about the Calvins, we hear about the Luthers, we hear about the Zwinglies, we hear about those guys, but there's men that labored side by side with them, and frankly, if it weren't for those men that we hear little of, we don't, who knows what would have happened to guys like Calvin, Luther, and so forth. Yes, yeah, and even... Have, even one little, little note on Calvin that, that many of us know about is uh, Calvin's Geneva liturgy is basically Bootser's Strasbourg liturgy. And mm. so Cal- Bootser, the older man in the faith, taught Calvin uh, aspects of liturgy that, were, that are used today in Reformed churches. So there's no island in ministry. All the ministers are dependent on each other. Absolutely. So, so why do so, so few... Uh, of the reformed, especially you know, we, uh, us reformed guys, you know, uh, we take pride in knowing about this. So why do why do so few know about this man? Well, yeah, it's a tough one. I, here's here's the best I can do on that question. Here's my take: most reformed publishing houses, um, in the, maybe in the last hundred, two hundred years, are in the U.S. or the U.K. and the reform background of, of U.S. and U.K. publishers is going to be Puritan, Scottish Presbyterian, or Dutch Reform. So they basically write the histories that they are familiar with of their particular faith. So you see, we, we've had, even in the last 50 years or 30 years, tremendous amount of works republished in bios on Puritans, John Knox, Edwards, Samuel Rutherford, the Dutch Kuiper, and all these excellent, excellent, excellent works, and they, um, the, but the reform publishers tend not to go to the continent and go into the deeper, earlier part of the Reformation and do biographies on these men. And here, here's here's an example. Even let's forget V-Ray for a while. Talk about Ulrich Zwingli and um, mm-hmm. uh, the Zurich Reformation and uh, Heinrich Bullinger. I mean, here Ulrich Zwingli is the founder of the Reformed faith. In 1519, January 1st, they brought him in. They replaced the present uh, pastor. They brought him in from a monastery south of Zurich, and he started an exegetical study on Matthew 1. On, it was uh, it was New Year's uh, New Year's Day on Saturday night and Sunday he was in the pulpit again. All right, that was really the beginning of the Reformation. Zurich by 1523, the magistrates had embraced the Protestant Reformation. They removed the cath- over time the Catholic clerics, and the Reformation took hold. I think in February it was of 1523 under Zwingli's leadership. Well, then under Zwingli's leadership again, the Reformation went to burn. In 1528, embraced by the magistrates, and then Basel in 1529, under Echo and Thaddeus. Mm-hmm. Holler and Cole were the chief ministers in, uh, in, in, in Bern. Bern was key, because Bern was the capital, and that's where, all the, where the, the, uh, the military power was. So here is this critical founder of the faith, and how many books in English are there on Ulrich Zwingli? Well, Zwingli dies, let me go on beyond that, Zwingli dies at the Battle of Capel in October of 1531, and the uh, canton of Zurich and St. Gallen is in absolute disarray. He, the Catholic canton succeeded in the Second Battle of Capel. Zwingli's dead. They cut his body parts up, and they sent it to all the other Catholic cantons. He's gone. All that's left is his, uh, his halberd and his, and his uh, um, helmet, which they have in the museum there in, in Zurich. And uh, Heinrich Bullinger, young man, I think he was 28, takes the pulpit, and the people say, what is this, the second coming of Zwingli? 
because he was so for, <laughs> such sure. a great preacher. So for forty some years, he takes he takes he's the uh, chief pastor. He takes over as a movie's position. And um, you got to stop me on Bollinger because I'll keep going on. But let, let me just do just say a couple quick thoughts. Forty four years, he's the chief pastor there. He Heinrich Bollinger is the architect of the English Reformation. Thousands of letters have gone from Zurich, from Bollinger's pen, to England, to the Queen, to Cranmer, to all the key men, uh, Somerset, uh, to Edward, Edward VI, I think, the boy king. And um, he is he's the, um, orchestrating the English Reformation out of Zurich. Mm-hmm. Schaff says that when Bollinger died, in September 17th, in 1575, I think it was, when Bollinger dies, it's a public calamity in England. Okay, that's, that'll, that'll end my thing on Bollinger, but here's my question. How many books in English on Bollinger? Well, you have Bollinger's 500 anniversary was in 2004. It actually was going on when I was there in Zurich, and Gordon and Campy wrote the book through Baker Publishing, great book on Bollinger. You know, and there was different authors and all that. It was a, it was a, um, a theological work. But when you come down to it, how many books on Zwingli and Bullinger? Well, if you're going to write on the continental reformers, you have to be multilingual. You have to know German and French right. as well as English. But German for Bullinger and Zwingli, so who, who, how many historians know German? So, you know, I, I, I'm a little long on that part, but uh, that's kind of why I think you tend to write biographies on what you're familiar with. And that's why guys like, I mean, I mean performers like Bootser, Bullinger, Zer, uh, and, and uh, Zwingli, and then V-Ray, which is our subject, get lost in the shuffle. Interesting. So that's my thought on that. Yeah, and just based on what you told me about the <clears throat> amount of research and, and work that the author had to do to even put this together, um, it can be daunting, a daunting task and a, t- a big time investment. Frankly, oh yeah, to yeah. to bring this forward. Now, what is unique about V. Ray as well, a reformer? Yeah, I um, the question. A lot of things. I'm just trying to figure. Probably the first thing that comes to my mind is his character, and you see that in the title. You mm-hmm. see, Angel of the Reformation. Okay, so uh, okay, what do you mean by Angel? Well, I mean V. Ray was, and I, I put this. I think I put this in the introduction is that he was a, um, a model minister and reformer in his public life because he was a model Christian in his private life. Here, here's the best way to sum it up, and this is what Pharrell, Shomi or William Pharrell said about V-Ray, and this is the quote, it is God who has given us V-Ray. I know him better than I know myself, and I can say that never have I found in him anything but a sincere affection for Christ and his gospel and a character devoid of all Harshness, truly a Christian soul, walking in love and seeking peace. Hmm. And I mean, what a quote! I mean, how would you like that to be said about yourself? Absolutely. But, um, Great goal. So he was—he was like the apostle Jesus said, who's who's come without guile. And that that character invoked trust. So you see in B. Ray's life, and the author uh, R.A. Sheets brings out in the book that his trust went to not only friends but the foes. So you see Catholics, Roman Catholics, and he was no compromiser, Vire was not. Roman Catholics would come to his defense, and she brings this out in the book, because of his character, because of his sincerity, his love, his kindness, and all of what his God-given attributes were. And then because of, the, he had, because of his character, he was a great negotiator, and he was a great peacemaker, and he, Calvin would bring him into Geneva to deal with issues that he could not deal with between people. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, we talked about earlier the, um, his negotiation of bringing Calvin back to um, uh, Geneva was a great historical event for us that are interested in the Reformation. And Absolutely. I think, too, uh, this, the, the other uniqueness of V. Ray after his character was his, that he was an excellent theologian. He had over 50 books in print, and he wrote on very practical subjects, which we could talk about later. And many of his books were bestsellers in his day. The other thing that hits me, and this is probably the last on your question here, was his commitment to God and his calling. 
and, and, and let me go in, into the last decade of his life. In 15, let's just review this. In 1559, the Bernice, he, um, uh, Valier and, and V-Ray, which were pastoring in, in uh, Lausanne, get word from the Bernice government on how to direct the Lord's Supper. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> V-Ray is not going to have the magistrates tell him as a Christian minister how to do the Lord's Supper. So he disobeys their commands, and they are, uh, they are irate. And, she, and Rebecca does a great job of bringing this out in the book. Well, he's there, kicked out. 23 years, he's kicked out. Um, he's in ex- actually he's imprisoned. The, v- the oh. uh, Bernice government imprisoned him in Lausanne. The building is still there, and he's kicked out. All right, then um, the pastor was o- the pastor was offered to Valier, I think that's how you pronounce it. He refuses it, so they eventually get the Bernice government gets somebody to pastor the church. The seven or eight key um, uh, uh, professors at the school at V-Ray's Academy, leave and go to Geneva. And as you know, in 1559, the Geneva Academy was started. So as right. the academy was getting going, this is Calvin's longtime vision to have an academy there. Well, the, found, the foundation of the faculty is all V-Ray's professors. Seven or eight, um, uh, uh, and they're in the book, too. You'll see that in the book. Well, here's the story. So he's kicked out. He eventually goes to uh, Geneva. He goes to Geneva and when the magistrates find out V-Ray's coming, they kick Beza out of his house and give the house to, to V-Ray because the greater than Beza shows up. And he now has, he ends up living 11 years after that or 12, uh, 59, yeah, 12. And here's what he's got in Geneva. He's got his buddy Calvin. He's got his buddy Beza there. He's got Calvin's library. He's got the library in Geneva. He's got his church. They gave him St. Germain. If you go to Geneva... Just within just a stone's throw of St. Pierre's, where Calvin preached, is St. Germain, where V-Ray was given the church. And he had, you know, large crowds there. So, and he's a member of the consistory, immediately put in the consistory, which met at a building called Calvin's Auditorium, which is where Knox and Coverdale used to meet and preach. If you go to Geneva, you know what I'm talking about there. So anyways, he's got the perfect situation to end the last decade of his life with the libraries and associates in peace, and he's getting antsy. And V-Ray decides in 1561 to leave the Geneva and to go into France. Now, here's the situation in France. They're in the middle of French religious wars. Mm, that's right. So can you see his mother-in-law saying, you're taking my daughter into France? <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> and, and, um, he, and he is getting calls from Lyon and all the major churches to come and pastor. And he takes the call. So he leaves the comfortable setting of Geneva, and he goes in the middle of war-torn France, and for 10 years of his last of his life, till he dies in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, the Pyrenees, in the area of Bern, in, in uh, way in, uh, uh, it would be western um, France, near the Atlantic Ocean. The last 10 years of his life, he's on the run. He ends up being in prison. The ca- he's in run. He, he's um, you know he's on run from the French crown, from the Catholic authorities. But he is the immediate leader of the French Huguenots, the French Reformed Church, which mm. was the center of it in all of France. Was in Lyon, it was in um, Nîmes, and in Montpellier, and he pastored all through there. And you can see the timeline in the book. So my bottom line to finish my, your question is, here's a man who had a perfect setting, and most people would say, oh, God has providentially given me Geneva for the last years of my life to have a wonderful time and put out a lot of works and do preaching. Well, he, he leaves all of that and goes in the middle of hell, basically, which is French. Wow. And French so that's, uh, out of all of it, my, my uh, most endearing thing is his last, last years of his life and what he did. Yeah, it's interesting. When you think about it, the situation, as you just put it, and he could have stayed in that comfortable place in Geneva, certainly it would have been simple, probably a little easier, a lot easier, as as the case may be. But in, in a lot of sense, you know, you look at our modern world, and we think, especially those of us in seminary, you know, the question always comes up. I mean, you can't go, you can't go a week without the question coming up. 
where do you want to pastor when you leave seminary? You know, yeah. it always comes up, and yeah. it's amazing to listen to some of the answers. And uh, V. Ray would have said, "I want to go to the worst place." Yeah, imagine. None of us would think that. We we wouldn't think. I want to go. I want to pastor some church in the middle of nowhere, where where there is no church, and it's it's only going to be thirty people, yeah. or or whatever the case may be. We're always thinking about you know these ideal, as it were, circumstances. And um, sounds to me like this man had a real passion for people and a and a heart oh, yeah. that wanted to serve and 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 pastor people who who obviously in their circumstance in France were in dire need of someone like him. Yeah. So God in his providence provides such a man to do that. Now his historical significance, I know we've kind of talked about that a little bit already, but anything you want to add to that? Yeah, possibly a couple things. Um historically um again because um, uh, there's, there's, well, there are books, but it's not a tremendous amount of books on, on, on the Swiss Reformation. I think more need to be in print. Schaff does a great job on it. But what you see is, we, we talked about Switzerland, which is the, the, the root of our Reformed faith is not in Edinburgh, it's not in London, and it's not in Strasbourg. It is in, uh, it's in Switzerland. And it's first in German Switzerland, and then the leadership really ended because of V. Ray Calvin Farrell ended up being in French Switzerland, and, and especially Geneva. Well, in light of that, the the work of the Reformation in French, Switz, French, French Switzerland is the work of two men, of first Farrell and then V. Ray. Farrell, v. Ray was Farrell's disciple for many mm-hmm. years. And when you when you talk about and we have it on the map in the book, Lausanne, Granson, uh, Yverdon, Payerne, all these towns in French Switzerland were towns that Viray preached in under Farrell's direction. So the French Swiss Reformation was the work of Viray and Farrell. Then the Geneva Reformation, which was more critical because of the location Geneva was, it was the work of three men: Farrell first, then Viray, then Anton Fromol. And F R O M E N T. Nobody knows who Anton Fermo is, and we bring him out a little in the book. There's some pictures of him in the book, and this was by the time Calvin shows up and and Pharrell gives him cursism first of all, and then gives him the direction to stay in Geneva and pastor. The Reformation was already won by these three men, so and V-Ray was in the middle of it, which again most people don't don't really know. So you have. Um, the great work, uh, again, historically, we talked about V-Race historical significance and reformation of the Swiss triumvirate of Pharrell, V-Ray, and Calvin. And there's, there's actually a sign on the wall, and we bring it out in the book in a picture of that, uh, I think it was in the 1800s, 1836, where they were honored, mm-hmm. the great reformers. The other significance of V-Ray is, of course, we talked about is the great academy in Lausanne that ended up being the Geneva Academy and all the positive things that that really came out of there. And, um, and then the fact that he was in the heyday of the French Huguenots, which had been the fifth, right before, I think it was 1572, which was the uh, St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, would have been in that, that era, the 1560s, that was the heyday of the French Huguenots, and V-Ray was the leader. And there, there was, and, and Rebecca brings it out in the book that in Lyon, there was a time, we talk about mega churches today, V-Ray served communion to somewhere between eight and 10,000 people one Sunday in Lyon. When mm. Lyon, Lyon is the second city of France. After Paris, Lyon is the second most important city, and uh, V-Ray pastored there till they ran him off to the crown, and the, and the Roman Catholics ran him off. And um, I think, too, at last I'll, I'll bring out on that is his significance is... Uh, and this is why it's important for the, the Christian reader, the intelligent layman, the, the theologian, the pastor, whoever, to read church history, because out of history we get a standard. If we look, if we take our, our personal life today, no matter who you are, what vocation or calling you have, and you look around you, you can say, man, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking pretty good. I mean, I, uh-huh, I mean the, the uh-huh. standard around us is not too good. But when you go back 500 years and you see the great era of the Reformation, and you see men like like Pharrell and Calvin and V-Ray and Bullinger, Bootser and 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 Zwingli, and you see the commitment. Now you raise a different standard, and that standard's going to be higher 
for your own self, for your work, and for your calling. And just, uh, can you imagine somebody looking at the ministry, what you just mentioned a little while ago, Bill, looking at going into ministry and look and just contemplating V-Ray's last 10 years. Right. He forsook what was easy, and he went to what God, went into the middle of the fire to what he felt God had called him to. And just a little story like that, how that could influence somebody's life. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, you know, you, you just can never downplay the significance of history and those that have came before us and have given us our faith. That's so, right. Now, we've talked about the historical significance. What about the <coughs> theological significance? Um, you already mentioned the, ten, the, the books that you think are on par with Kelvin's Institutes, but... Yeah. Don't, he, don't stone the man for saying that, okay? It's not like you get... We have to I know. He, the third um, rail for he, saying um, that, okay? <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if he could say that in the U.S., because he might be stoned. He's in Lausanne, you know, but... Yeah, right. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, the theological influence... Here's the thing on V-Ray. His, like I said, he wrote over 50 books, and I don't know how he wrote... Being on the run in France, I think he wrote 12 to 15 books while he was in France for the last 10 years of his life. Mm-hmm. But he wrote 50 books. They were bestsellers in his day. They were republished. The, all the printers were after him because of, 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 of his great works. But his writing style theologically was very unique. Um, he, wrote, he wrote for the laymen to read it. He, um, you know, his, he wrote it. A lot of it was in dialogue form. And um, he, he wrote that um, uh, he wanted everybody to understand the, the truths of the Christian faith. He was not an abstractionist. He was not a scholastic. He had no tendencies to that, which is an issue in the Reformed faith. Abstractionism is a real issue today, and it's been historically an issue. And he wrote in plain language with the intent that the layman could apply it, apply what he learned. He was not, he, he, he didn't write in intellectual style, even though it was intellectual. So his style was very unique, and, and when we start bringing these books out in modern English, you'll be able to see it. Interesting thing, on this one book we hope to have in print soon, uh, Miss Sheets finished it, it's called the Pierre V. Ray's Simple Exposition of the Principal Points of the Christian Faith and its Catechism, and his first dialogue is in there, <clears throat> is on what is the chief end of man. And you heard that, of course, being at the Presbyterian Seminary. So you had Calvin. Yeah, I think. think yeah, you've heard that maybe? You might have yeah, heard that. Sure. In something that came out of 1647 in London, I think, but called the Westminster Confession. But yep. in V-Ray, I think in 1561, he wrote on what the chief end of man was, and Calvin did it earlier in his catechism. So the Westminster Assembly borrowed from Calvin and V-Ray and had their great question and answer in their, in their catechism. And, um, but V-Ray, I, I, out of all the three of them, I like what V-Ray said because it's very personal, and you'll have to read it when we, when we bring out the book. I think the last thing I'll say on V-Ray's theology that he did touch on subjects that a lot of theologians won't touch on. He, he dealt with the civil magistracy, he dealt with taxation. In France at the time, there was a gabelle, which was a value-added tax on salt, and which was critical for life. And he discussed that. He did, obviously, with the issues with the Bernice government, he, did issue, he dealt with theology applied to church and state jurisdiction. He talked about war, his... Linder's book, which we hope to have out, I, I might want to mention it, Robert Linder, 1964, he went to Geneva, and he's still a um, professor at Kansas State University, history professor, and he wrote a book on the political ideas of Pierre Vire, very difficult to find, and a masterful book, and he wrote on uh, Vire's view of war. And Vire, <laughs> you love this, Vire dealt with defense contractors. And he said, he said, they're the worst of all people that would, I mean, <laughs> really, and, not, and, he, this was, and, he, changed, and I don't know anything about our, you know, the, the defense industry in the 16th century, but I think they had artillery, they had, they had cannons, and they talked about men who make artillery, you know, will the human race ever survive this? And Linder does a great job of quoting, so V-Ray, very practical theologian, dealing with the, not abstract theology, but the issues of life. 
and that's why I we're excited about bringing some of his works out because what's the what's the purpose of theology theology but it's not applied. That's right. Absolutely, it's something that we talked we talked off air about you know, just doing this podcast. You know, looking for you know why do people listen? Why you know other than just facts? I mean, we can fill our head with a lot of facts. Um, I've yeah. got more facts running around my head than I know what to do with. Um, but if we don't apply these matters to everyday life, interacting with one another, our wives, our families, you know, that's all nice. It's just facts um, with nowhere to go. Um, and th- that's why I always try to turn this podcast, you know, a little bit in a way that says, you know, what can we glean from a man like V-Ray in his life? and how does that help us today as Christians and living in 2013? He thought the world was going to come to an end because they had cannons. Little did he know yeah. we'd have nuclear weapons, um, yeah. you know, 400 years later. So, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, quite remarkable. Now, obviously, you're working on other things. Um, you've mentioned some of those. Any other works uh, related to this man yeah. um, on the on the drawing board? Yeah, some related and some not to him. I mean, we, we talked about... Uh, V-Ray's simple exposition, which could be a couple hundred pages of his dialogue on doctrinal points of the Christian faith. Uh, Ms. Sheets mm-hmm. is, after that, it's going to have V-Ray's catechism, you know, we, and which is, you're going to, you know, we talked about the, um, uh, the, the chief good of man, the chief end of man, and you'll, you'll get, that'll be a really a great catechism for uh, fathers to teach their children. Right. And then we want... Uh, her other book is V-Ray's book on the Lord's Prayer, which she's working on now. We eventually want to get the three volumes of Christian instruction out. I think what we're going to do is tackle volume two first, which is on biblical law and the Ten Commandments. So that's what we got on board for V-Ray stuff. And then the other thing we've, we're working on is, which I think would be my most important book that we'll be able ever to do out of Zurich Publishing, which is the book by Pierre Courtial, which is A New Day of Small Beginnings. And Courtial, which I mentioned before, was John Mark Bertou's very close friend. Pierre Court, and you can pull it up on the Zurich Publishing website and get a little background who Pierre Courtial was. Courtial was, uh, was, was a modern Huguenot. He died, I think, about five years ago, and he maybe was in his 90s, mid-90s. He was pastor of the, uh, the, an important Reformed church in Paris for many years, and then at the uh, before he retired, he went to Aix-en-Provence and helped turn around the seminary there. You have men like Peter Jones, the Americans know Paul Wells, Bill Edgar that taught with him. They were very huh. close with Pierre Courtois. Well, he wrote this book, A New Day of Small Beginnings, which is a covenantal view of all human history, and it is phenomenal. Uh, Douglas Kelly at RTS has done the um, uh, introduction. For me in the book, which is phenomenal in itself. Matt Miller, who's a pastor in the ARP Church in South Carolina, is did the translation work and actually met Cortiel before he died. So we hope to have that out within a couple, three months. The other, and I'll end with this, the other books I want to do is Jean-Marc Bertou's 12 or 13 books. And he is uh, probably the best-kept Reformed theological uh, theologian, uh, best kept secret out there uh, that we know of. He's not well well known in the states. He's, he's a little more well known in where he comes from in Switzerland. But the the advantage of the Swiss theologians and Cortiel and Bertou is this: is that they're multilingual. John Mark can read V-Ray in the original 16th century French. He can read German. Yeah. And wow. where, where the Americans, we just tend not to do that. And, and <laughs> <No>. it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting when I went to this when I went to his bookstore in '04. He showed me Cortiel's books, and he is, and in Cortiel's books is all these quotes from the Americans. So they 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 read all the American Reform thinkers. They know all of them, and they know all of what's going on over here. His two books that were in the process of translating Jean-Marc Bertou is the Defense of God's Law, which is a little 250-page primer on on, the, on biblical law. And it's really it's it's unique. It's a warmer approach to the law of God. It's uh, and we can get into it at a later date. But the other one we're doing, which is really interesting, I asked John Mark out of his twelve books, what do you want us to translate? And um, he said, do the one on biblical law, and then do the one on mysticism of yesterday and today. And John Mark goes, and his wife actually helped him with this. Rosemary goes into the history of mysticism. 
and um, Pentecostalism, charismaticism from a Reformed covenantal perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's very, I mean, realizing that uh, these independent charismatic churches kind of rule the day in modern America, this would be a very interesting and very timely book to come out. And I've got two young ladies that went to Mercer University that um, took, were, took classes and, and are experts in 16th century French and, of course, modern French that are, are translating these books. They're in a Reformed Presbyterian church in um, Atlanta, and they're helping translate those two. So that's kind of what we got on the docket. Now, you, you, the work you're doing, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, as yeah. I listen to you talk about these things that are coming up, I mean, how are you, you – how is this being funded? I mean, just for lack well, of a better way of asking that question, it's, this, this is a – these things don't just happen. Um, no, the um, – uh, two, yeah, it is a huge undertaking. I've got a pile of stuff on my desk here, construction-related, that I've been calls to make here this evening. But the key thing in Mr. Earl's life is that he's single. He's not mm-hmm. married. So he can do second shift working on Zerg Publishing in the PRV Association. The other key thing is um, that by the providence of God, I'm able to help fund the works with through the construction company and you know it, 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 maybe we're a little example here for somebody that was never called into the ministry to help do the work of god in advance Christ's kingdom you don't have mm. to be a cleric or be in the ministry nope. and be ordained to advance the kingdom of god That's and right. i'd never had i never really had any formal education you know my seminary experience was two classes like we talked about at greenville seminary years ago and with uh, joey piper let me go in and um but I got a passion to read, passion for church history, and just, I guess, really want to make a difference there, and I'm able to help fund it. Because, um, and I wanted to do, I want to do, V-Ray's Life is worth a quality book. So um, I went over to Switzerland and France and took many of the pictures for the book. And I think it's critical when you do a biography how important the pictures are. You've got to know where oh, yeah, the pulpits it, were, where the, you know what I mean? Yep, I mean, it, I can tell all the listeners. I've I've got the book in front of me. There's the pictures are wonderful. They're full color. They're fantastic. As you're reading through the biography, and names and places are mentioned, and different churches are mentioned, you can flip and see these these in real living color. So it's not as though you you're. It's tough sometimes to envision uh, these things because you've never been there before. But so you have these these helps, as it were, as you're reading, and it's very helpful. Um, reading through this kind of material, I do want to ask you a real uh, a question. You mentioned putting quality books. I we live in the digital era. Yeah. Uh, no, there's no getting away from it. Uh, yeah. It's here. Um, yeah. Is there any plans to do any kind of Kindle format type of things with these books at all? Yeah, all my younger guys that are really good at that are on my case about that, and I, I'm I've you know I just don't have the time to do it yet, but we will eventually have everything we do. In, in in more electronic form. Um, I think it'll help sales, too. But I, I think, oh, I'll tell yeah. you what, the historical and theological books, you've just, you got to have them in print. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm a little older, so I've got to have it in my hands. Well, uh, I'm the same way. I mean, I love the technology. I, I have uh, one, two, three, four. I have four computers. I have a, one of them fancy smartphones. You know, anybody who knows that listens to this podcast or knows me in person knows I'm a technology geek. I just love this stuff. Yeah. But I'm like, you. I, I would prefer the book in my hand so I can write on it, so I can do it and not have to be uh, tied down to all the other silly gizmos that these Kindles have and whatever. Now, I mean, I have a tablet, I have a I have Kindle on it, yeah. I can use it, but the, the majority of my library is hardcover, uh, hard book, you know, the, the physical book in my hand. I know what you mean. Yeah. By that, but of course, you know we talking about sales and getting the information out there and what people can do and want to do. Um, I hear it all the time. I can put thousands of books on my on my kin thousands of books on my Kindle, and I can take it with me wherever I go. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Hey, you're absolutely right. I'm I'm not going to tote around my library too far because, uh, well, I can only carry so much. But um, but you're right. And I was just curious as to. What kind of plans were? Yeah, eventually there. we'll we'll eventually we will update ourselves there. 
Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned the website earlier. Why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners about your website? Yeah, two, we have two websites. Uh, you can get on um, zerkpublishing.org, and that'll be what a little we talked about with the future books. It's not a huge website, but it's – and you can order the um, – the uh, the book by Mischietz on uh, PRV Angel Reformation off of there, or you could really um, Joel Beakey's um, uh, Ministry Reformation Heritage books is is ordered quite a bit. It's one of our distributors up in Michigan, so you could order off oh, of uh, Reformation Heritage books, which most of your listeners are familiar with. Do great oh, yeah. work up there, and then the other website that I'm involved with that we started up uh, nine years ago is the PRV Ray Association. So that's PRVRay.org. Uh, um, you can pull that up and then find a little more information on V-Ray. And, and I will uh, have links. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I will have links for the listeners um, on the website. So when this broadcast is released, so if you're listening to it right now, it's been released, right? Yes. The links the links will be there on the webpage. So you just simply click them and take you there. Order the book. Um, that. One one way to uh, get your hands on this book, and uh, just to repeat the website, it's Zurich Publishing, you know, Zurich Z U R I C H Publishing dot O R G, and again, I'll have the links there for people to easily navigate to. So no excuses. Excellent. You've listened to this interview. You've listened to a man. I guarantee you probably knew nothing about, and now you know something about. And frankly, you ought to have your interest ought to be at least peaked at some level, and. Um, like I said before, the book the book is well put together. It's not some cheap, flimsy thing. I'm, I'm talking about really good paper, good binding quality material, um, which is in today's world is really nice to have because everybody's trying to do things you know quick and fast, and they don't last. Um, so it's nice to see that kind of quality in a book of this nature. So you have a, a way to get the book through the website there. Um, and also look forward to some of these other publications coming out. I know I'm already drooling over this three-volume thing uh, to add to my library. So maybe we'll have uh, have you back on to talk about that when it time comes um, sometime in the future. Any other comments you, you want to offer about what you're trying to do at Zurich Publishing or this book in, in particular? Well, I, I just um, I, I would like maybe someday in the future, if, if you deem it uh, worthwhile, when we get some of John Mark Bear II's books out, maybe we could do another podcast on that. He's a very important theologian, still living, still with us. And maybe we could set it up where you could actually uh, do a podcast with him directly in Lausanne. Yeah. Yeah, he is really, and I, I mention him because I, I really looked at him as a mentor, as a real guide. He's way beyond me historically and intellectually and theologically. And I uh, really have a lot of dependence on him, and, and he's really quite a quite a, a find that is, you know, he's still living today. And um, maybe we could do something with him sometime in the future. Sure. And I'm and glad. I just, and just if to. I could if I could, Ann, thank uh, thanks so much, and you're so kind to have me on your broadcast, and uh, appreciate greatly the opportunity uh, to share a little about PRV V Ray, what we're doing with the V Ray Association, and and with Zurich, and um, tell Dr. Pipe I said hi. I will. I will, and the pleasure is ours. We thank you for the time that you take. You're obviously very busy. I can tell just by listening to what you're talking about, you know, the, the material that you're getting together, the knowledge that you have of the material, as well as your other activities that you engage in, obviously very busy. So we do thank you for being on and talking about this unknown guy. I mean, I didn't know anything. I'd never even heard of him. Now I feel yeah. like I know a little bit about him more uh, and and whet my appetite as it were and and learn more because it's interesting especially the whole relational aspect you had with Kelvin and that whole thing it's just yes. to me is very intriguing yep. element so but again thank you for taking the time to talk with us today okay God bless Bill yeah if you hang on just just for a minute and I will wrap things yeah, up yeah. for us for today sure yeah let me tell everybody what's coming up on the program um, <clears throat> next week we'll be talking with Matthew Mitchell on a subject that every single person that listens to this podcast wrestles with at some level. I guarantee it. I know I'm going out on a limb. Here I am. Here, here's Bill shooting off his mouth again. And I've done it before, and I'm doing it again. But I'm willing to bet that everybody that names the name of Christ struggles with this subject. And we're going to be talking with him about the subject of gossip. 
He wrote a book called Resisting Gossip, and so we'll be sitting down with Matthew Mitchell to talk about this poisonous sin that the church, that we all wrestle with at some level. Sometimes I think we do it, we don't even know we're doing it. Um, And so we're going to talk with him about this book, very practical book. So tune in next week for this discussion with uh, Mr. Mitchell. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.